today, I'm sitting down with horror icon Bobby Rowe, writer and director of the instant cult classic The House's October Built 1 and 2, and the writer and director of one of these segments, Pacific Northwest, in the prolific pandemic film, Isolation. Uh, for those of you who want to read this interview, uh, you'll be able to find it on Horror Obsessive. And for those of you that wish to listen to the interview, you'll find the audio on the Ruminations of Red Rum podcast on the Ruminations Radio Network. Uh, so before we get started, uh, Bobby, how you doing? How are things going? Doing good. We just uh, got back from London about two weeks ago and uh, looking forward to the North American premiere uh, middle of October. And uh, which uh, festival is that at? So Isolation is, was just asked to have the North American premiere be at Screamfest in Los Angeles. And so what's really cool is it'll play at the Chinese theater, um, Grauman Theater, which is really cool and iconic. And I've never had a movie play there. And it's uh, that'll be a really cool introduction, I think, for um, the U.S. And I think it'll be fun to bring the kid. I'm going to bring the my kids down and have them walk the red carpet and kind of experience some of that, which I think will be a lot of fun for them because they worked really hard on that movie. That's really cool, honestly. Um, and so I, I do want to talk some stuff about isolation, uh, but I, I just wanted to kind of uh, get some background stuff out of the way first. Uh, so one of the things that I thought was, and this was actually a piece of information that I had known after uh, I had seen the house's October built and I was just you know, doing some research on the cast and crew, but you were an all American pitcher in college, correct? That's correct. So was film always an end goal for you or was, were sports an end goal and then you switched into film or was it kind of both? You just loved doing both. Um, it's, it's always been film as far as I can remember since I was five years old. Um, and what baseball did was open up a nice window for a school like UCLA to be able to kill two birds. Um, and, you know, I don't regret not playing anymore. I miss pitching. Um, and I had an opportunity with the Texas Rangers um, out of school, and I chose to go to film school instead. Um, it's, it's something that I do miss, um, but in, in a weird way, uh, I think especially pitching wired me and and gave me the reps to be a better director. Um, and by that, I mean a pitcher, you you win the game as a team and you lose the game as a pitcher. Right. Um, and I and I'm fine putting that on my shoulders. I'm used to it. Um, and I kind of tackle movies that way. Um, so I think, you know, sports sports are really good at keeping you aligned. They're keeping um, that, you know, that team atmosphere. And I think that's a lot of what a cast and crew is as well on, on a film. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it gave me some opportunities, which, I, which I'm very grateful for. And I love pitching there and having a, um, a, a really good career that I'm proud of um, at UCLA. But, it, 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 you know, it got me into the, the right city, the right town. Um, and I actually kind of branched off after school. And I did a bunch of sports stunts and movies. So I did, um, they called them stunts. I mean, it's just playing baseball, but they needed pro guys to do it. Well, a lot of the guys, the household name guys, they're not going to do it for X amount of money. And so they needed, especially real pitchers. When we were running film, 
you can save a production thousands of dollars by being able to throw a strike. Um, and they need that. And, you know, it's something I never thought about before um, until I got, uh, I got actually picked to d- stunt double for Roger Clemens. And I didn't understand because I was like, I'm pretty sure he can do it better than I can. What do you mean a stunt for him? And he was pitching the next day. So I had to do all the scenes with Randy Johnson, um, which was really cool for me. Um, and I'm left-handed, but I'm kind of built like Clemens. So they flopped the shot, um, wrote my name backwards. Um, and what was even cooler is, so I got my SAG card um, on that from Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder was the director of that commercial. Um, and so that was really neat. We got to go to his house. He, at the time, I didn't know what it was. He had all these storyboards of the Spartan warriors everywhere around his house when we go to costume fittings. And it was 300. Um, it was right before he started 300. Um, so that was great. I loved being able to watch him work. Um, I worked for Gavin O'Connor uh, through this television show called Clubhouse uh, that Aaron Spelling and Mel Gibson did. Um, but, you know, watching him doing, you know, Miracle Warrior, such a great sports director. Um, I got such an education on watching a lot of those great directors on how they worked. Um, so, you know, I tried to use my time the best I could after I had shot my scenes, just kind of hang around set and watch. And I, and I think most of that experience was better than any film school, to be honest. That's a really interesting way to look at it. Uh, what, this wasn't initially one of my questions, but now it is. Um, what is your uh, fastest pitch? My fastest pitch? Yeah. Uh, you know what? I hit 89 three times. I never hit 90. I tried so hard. Um, but pitching's funny like that. It's doesn't matter if you're the strongest guy on the team. It's just about this delivery and your form. Um, and luckily I'm left-handed, so it's more about movement. You have natural movement as a lefty. So, uh, I have a lot of movement on my ball, so it didn't really matter that I wasn't throwing 95. It would have been nice. Um, would have probably been a different story if I, if I could, but, uh, no, 89 was the top of the ladder. Right, still faster than me. Um, uh, okay, so then uh, before we do talk isolation, the one last thing I, I wanted to bring up is you wrote a uh, children's book, which which I think is a very interesting juxtaposition from 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 what we've seen. Where where did the the idea for that come from, and and why why narwhal? I mean, they're they're dope. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um. um. You know what? It's it's funny through all this darkness and as much as I love horror, you know, both Zach and I have been in that world knee deep for 12 to 15 years. And, um, you know, and it doesn't want to be the, I don't want that to be the only genre I tackle. Um, I, I've always to go back to baseball, but I like to hit the cycle. I would like to have, um, you know, a rom com, a sci fi whatever, as long as it's original, as long as somebody walks out of that theater going, oh, I'd never thought of that idea before, that would make me proudest. Um, And so with that, I always kind of want to do an animated movie. That's a whole different field. Um, That's a five-year process. And, you know, people like Pixar and stuff like that, it's always in-house. So I never knew how that could ever play out. Maybe one day it will. But the best thing that I've kind of learned through this whole journey is, you need to put pen to paper in some form or it's not real. You can talk all day about your ideas. You can, but if you don't go execute something and let it live and breathe, it doesn't exist. Um, and by, by doing the, the book, um, 
you know, it's out there. It's on shelves and maybe someday somebody will pick it up and uh, it could be an animated movie one day. But um, yeah, I just kind of wanted to pick something. I wrote it for my daughter when she was born um, because I, I was always fascinated with narwhals and they're one of those animals that um, you can't see in, in person. They can't be in an aquarium. The acrylic, like with those horns, you're never going to see one at the zoo or at the aquarium. So it just kind of wanted to give an origin story for it. And um, I, I really liked those children's books um, when we were kids that, that taught you a lesson that you just didn't know. It wasn't, you know, hitting you over the head with it. But I like the idea of uh, just because you're one of a kind doesn't mean you're alone. Um, and I think that the uniqueness with especially kids that deal with a lot of that stuff is that you're not by yourself. But there's also a lot of people that are one offs as well. Um, and so that's why I, I incorporate, you know, Bigfoot and, and Ness, Loch Ness Monster, et cetera, because um, that's stuff that's always fascinated me. I love cryptozoology. That kind of stuff's fun. Um, and so I thought this was kind of a, a gateway origin story for for kids that because uh, my my kids can't see anything that I've made. So yeah. even the stuff they're in, they haven't seen. So. Oh, so so the the premiere of the. Uh, the premiere that they're going to be going to that'll be their first time seeing it yes but i'm not letting them see the rest of the movie there's some especially there, the, the London some, segment yeah, yeah that's not going to happen there's, um, there's some messed up stuff in that movie yeah so uh they haven't um but we can get into that when we talk about isolation but uh yeah so anyway that was kind of my gift to her um and uh you know i've been really thrilled with people's reaction on it because the nice thing about you know, things with horror movies, like some things scare people, some people don't. This one's pretty much right down the pike, I think, for what kids enjoy and like. Um, and so the response has been great. And maybe one day it'll be an animated movie. That'd be great. Awesome. So what, uh, this is a kind of double question. Uh, what would you consider to be your favorite genre? And do you have like a movie that has inspired you kind of more than any other movie you've seen? No, horror is still my favorite genre for sure. Um, you know, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street always really, I thought it was such a smart device. I mean, I remember even as a kid thinking that was really smart to use something none of us can avoid, right? Sleep. Um, and I remember always kind of thinking that way. And gimmick is the wrong word, but you need that device. Um, I think in horror that it works really well. And so that always, that probably got me into um, that area, but saw the original saw changed the game for me because it was the first time I know a lot of people roll their eyes at horror and it saw was this cerebral smart version of these horror movies where I'm like, I, you, you could almost to, to some that don't want to, normally go see horror. I mean, it's a thriller then, however you want to look at it, but it was so smart. Um, the twist is just perfect. Um, and that was, to me, that was, it felt like this escalated, um, this just kind of higher brow version of horror that you could make a really smart movie mixed with, um, you know, at that time, you know, they were using tor the word torture porn all the time, but, um, that, to me, it was just straight up a smart, smart movie. It didn't matter what genre it was in. And I liked knowing that, uh, that horror could kind of be perceived that way. So that, That's a really good way to look at it. 
Um, okay, so let's just uh, kind of jump into isolation. Um, I, I kind of want to end on uh, the House's October built. Um, so, you know, obviously the, the first two movies that you made, you kind of had free range to make a movie like, you know, uh, people have been doing for a long time. So what was the, like, what was the difference between filming a movie under pandemic guidelines rather than, you know, just going out and filming a movie? Sure. Um, it was, it was tough. It, in the beginning, I, I turned it down. I didn't, um, there's so much time for me to travel throughout the year, uh, usually pre COVID. Um, and I, my kids are young and I wanted to be around. So if everybody was in lockdown, this was an opportunity for me to be around them in some very influential years. Um, and I also didn't have like an Alexa camera at home. I didn't, I didn't want it to look bad, especially if I didn't have a crew, we're not lighting this the same way. Um, and I knew that, uh, some of these people were married to their cinematographers. So I was like, ah, I just don't know how this is going to look. And that was important to me, but I also thought, you know, this could be a cool experiment, a cool family, um, uh, kind of this, this family film, worst case scenario, we'd have a really cool home video. Right. And, uh, but then I started thinking backwards and was like, well, if I use the kids, and kind of came up with a more of a Lord of the Flies scenario. Um, maybe we could do this all together. And so it wouldn't be dad leaving and taking away all this time. Um, and so when we did that as a family over about two months, it was actually a really cool bonding experience. And uh, I'm very fortunate for that time. And, and you know, in, in some ways, especially my daughter, she was able to kind of see what Dada does. Um, and she picked things up so quickly. I mean, she was five years old. And she understood continuity. I don't know how she even knew to think that way because we shot out of order. And she was like, dad, I have mud on my shoes, but I didn't have mud on my shoes in the scene before. And I have no script supervisor. I mean, I'm running around with my head cut off. I wouldn't have caught things like that. And she did. Um, so I was super impressed by that. That was, that was really cool to watch. That's fantastic. And like, like I said in, in the review that I wrote, when it comes to having children act in movies it can either really be hit or miss sure. um but but your kids really just knocked it out of the park and i i i would honestly say it's probably one of the better performances from children that i've seen in a horror movie so so kudos to you guys you you absolutely nailed it thanks um, i mean a lot i appreciate that uh so uh this was uh you directed this, but it was also it was also written by Zach Andrews, correct? Yes. Uh, so where exactly did you guys come up with this story? Well, we kept going back and forth on how to incorporate. At that time, the height of COVID, where it was like scary to go to the grocery store. Um, the every all the stories were about the elderly being affected, right? So if you were sixty, sixty-five and up you were the most at risk. And so we started thinking about it and uh, even watching, um, went back and watched Outbreak with Dustin Hoffman. And you know, the whole premise of that movie, but you forget at the time is that it's a, it's a disease they eradicated 30 years ago, but it's mutated and it comes back stronger. 
Um, so we kind of used that idea to figure what was really scary to me, maybe more as a parent was what if the age bracket went all the way down to 12 and people were dying off that were anybody of above 12, there could be a newborn baby with two dead parents sitting in the living room and that baby doesn't stand a chance, but it's not affected. It's still alive. And so to look out in these houses in the neighborhood to just think that there could be kids on, on their own, the parents, the, there's corpses in the, in the home. I thought that was terrifying. And it's, it's one of those things that's, I wouldn't call anything hyper real, but it's, it's not far-fetched. And so that, to me, a very grounded approach to it is what's scary. It, uh, so, uh, I would assume, did you guys have full creative control over your segments? Um, yeah, for the most part, we, we did. We just had to come in at a certain time. Um, and so that was, like anything, is always a, a fight. But, you know, Nathan Crooker, who kind of put us all together, he did an amazing job of, you know, finding a good team. He's He worked with all the filmmakers to make sure that their vision is, is, is still there. And, and, you know, he has a, he has a bigger job of making sure that all nine spots fit right. And what order those go in. And um, so he was conscious of all that, but he was great as a, as a producer and working with everybody and, and did we, we had creative control. Um, you know, it was just the time limit thing. And, uh, oh, and no zombies. that was the rule that I got shut down. Yeah. So you couldn't use as long as we didn't do zombies. That was that was the big thing. So there may may not be an alt ending to mine that I had to delete. Oh, we're getting some hot gossip here. And any oh, oh you said you had to delete it. Oh, okay. I did delete it. Yeah. Uh, um, so you said production was about was about two months long for filming. Yeah, about two months. Uh, so we went through. My daughter lost her first tooth. Uh, thank God for masks. Right, There's a lot of scenes they're wearing masks because shooting that out of order. Um, her brother and her were wrestling and she got a, bl a black eye. So if you notice, I shoot her from one side <laughs> through a lot of the scenes. Uh, she had a really bad shiner. Um, but yeah, it was about two months. And, uh, you know, the, we tried to do as much as we could with zero crew. My wife was great in helping out. She's a still photographer or a photographer. And so she handled all the stills, but also helped out a lot. Um, you know, we got, we tried to do what we could. We have motorcycle chase and the, and, and the movie and things like that that you hopefully wouldn't expect out of a such an experimental film with lack of crew. Did in this? I, I hope this doesn't sound like a gotcha question. Um, did you guys get any backlash from like you know friends or family when you're saying, "Hey, we're filming a movie right now," you know, right. during the height of everything? Um, no, it's we didn't, but most people didn't know. Um, oh, okay. You know, so the, you know, the two villains in the movie um, are good friends of mine that came and helped. And it was funny as we were like, and you're in masks. And that's all I told them. And then I gave them actual horror masks and a gas mask that they were going to have to wear. But they were great. Um, that's funny, like back to sports, uh, both Nick Line, who's the bald like skull guy. He, he used to play for Tampa Bay, Del Rey's. And uh, Todd McCullough, who is the big fella that comes in with the gas mask, uh, he's an ex-NBA player, um, over seven feet tall, too. Um, so that's the one mistake I would actually take back is casting Todd and Nick. Nick is 6'5", so you don't get to see the height differential the way I envisioned it because I wasn't – and I didn't have a lot of 
there wasn't a big casting call for it. I needed to use what I had. And that was part of the grounds of the movie um, because he's a big guy in general. But yeah, both of them were awesome. And, and they went with whatever I needed to do. And uh, uh, they were great assets to the movie. So you're still kind of plugged into the sports world. Yeah. I mean, I got a, there's, you know, there's a lot of guys I played with that, uh, that I, you know, I enjoyed watching throughout the years. Um, Chase Utley and, and, um, is one probably the best example of somebody I played with, um, that, you know, hopefully one day will be in the hall of fame. Um, but yeah, I love, I mean, the sports side of thing was such a huge part of my life is a huge part of college. Uh, and those guys are great. And we all do something together each year. Um, Every year we have an annual uh, UCLA baseball trip that we go somewhere. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so we try to keep, try to still keep uh, keep up with all that. Um, so be, before I move on to uh, the houses October built, uh, was there anything else that you wanted to add um, about isolation? Is that is that going to be getting a like a physical release or um, a, a VOD release anytime soon? Yeah. So the. VOD release is going to be, I think it's November 1st. I, I don't know um, if that press release has been dropped yet. So um, we'll figure that out. But I, I think it's the first week in November um, okay. is, is going to be that. So, Well, I'm definitely going to tell everyone to pick it up. Um, so now the, uh, the movie that I'm sure a lot of people are interested to hear about, not that people aren't interested to hear about isolation. Um, but you made a film that quickly became like a cult, uh, a cult classic immediately overnight. Um, I don't know if it felt like that to you. Um, I remember after I, <clears throat> after I saw it for the first time, I was like, oh, wait, this is something. Like I, after watching it, uh, I think I sat there for a good 10 minutes and I was like, wow, this is unlike any found footage movie I've ever seen. Um, where, where did the idea for this movie come from? It stems all the way back from the idea of, does a tree make a sound in the forest when it falls and no around? Zach and I used to always talk about, well, have you ever seen a dead body in a haunted house? Seems like this far out question, but it, you can't answer it. You don't know. I mean, everything is literally created to be as real as possible in those things right and i mean there's they sell body scents like a, a corpse scent that you can you can break like a like a, a stink ball um so that idea was kind of that that was the the premise we wanted to work around but what we wanted to also make sure of is with a lot of found footage a lot of the characters and actors are kind of cardboard cutouts right and you can tell they don't know each other. Um, and so we wanted to make sure to kind of course correct that problem with chemistry. I think that's a big deal. I think you need to also care about somebody before you kill them. I mean, that, that works in stories. It's not gonna, you know, if you're, even if you hate somebody, then that, that kill in the movie is paid off well and people feel satisfied. So casting um, friends and my own brother in it, I think was a, it was the start, right? Where, where was a, a, a shortcut to kind of that, have that chemistry already rocking and rolling by day one. And, uh, you know, we wanted to make sure we shot in real places. I remember the studio wanting to build sets for these haunts. And I said, 
you couldn't possibly replicate this. And, and we're, they were talking about, well, casting for so-and-so. And so it's like, no, I want to use all scare actors because, you know, some of these guys and girls have, have perfected something for 10 years. They have their own dialect. They have their own look costumes. They've made it. That is their character. They, they own it. Why would I ever bring in somebody to, to try to catch up with that in three weeks? It didn't make any sense. So, you know, in the haunt community, it's been awesome. You know, they're a family and we learned that real quick. Um, and, and being around them and so many different types of haunts, different, uh, uh, the different locations, watching how locations actually build the haunt, right? Like you build around what your environment is. And so that was super interesting just going throughout America. Um, but yeah, so we just wanted to make the most authentic movie you can until it's not. And we took, I know I've said this before and it's probably out there, but it, it, we took a Borat approach as opposed to Blair Witch because Blair Witch is fake from frame one. Um, Borat is not. And even though it sounds like a weird comparison that he is um, being a comedy, it's, we still took the same approach. You know, we peppered in Blue Skeleton throughout both movies and people had heard of it. They talked like a lot of that is is very organic, their answers. And so and every one of those interviews you see kind of peppered through like character or uh, chapter segments. All those interviews are, are completely authentic. Actually, that kind of answers uh, one of my next questions about uh, whether or not the haunts were, were actually real haunts. So I, um, yeah. I, I guess. and when you're talking to the people at those haunts those are real conversations correct yeah so basically i would give the actors the direction of a to d i don't care what you do in b and c just get us back to d because these audibles are going to have to come into play you're going to have to make calls on the way somebody else reacts but to keep with the spirit of what we're trying to do and make it as authentic as possible um, you know, your, your directions are bookend, just get me, you know, start here end here. And then what happens in between, sometimes you get magic, right? Like some, sometimes somebody says we're close to gang raping these people at this haunted house. When he says that line, I mean, I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. Like in some of the stuff out of these guys' mouths, if I wrote it on paper as a character in a, in a feature script, you'd throw it out and say, nobody would ever say that. That would never happen in real life, but they did. You know, I one of one of my notes when I was rewatching the movie last week um, was this dialogue feels too natural. Right. Um, so uh, it it feels I feel like there's so many found footage movies that try and make something feel like a documentary and then sure. it fails miserably. But I mean, you guys, it really feels like you just set up a bunch of cameras and all this crazy shit happened. Sure. And, and, you're, and you're delivering it to us on a platter. Um, yeah, I mean, that, there's a scene with, um, it's, it's funny because you'll hear people call it out sometimes, like, why is this in there? And it was kind of a fight to keep it in there. But like, even the scene where we read Jeff's poem that he wrote, it, what, what I've kind of learned with this is that an inside joke doesn't need to be that you understand the joke. You just need to understand as the audience that we get the joke. Therefore, the chemistry is tight knit. You you understand that we have all a history, right? And and I think that leaving some of that fat on in a movie like Houses, where you're trying to somewhat dupe the audience, the fat works because if it's 
cut too thin by the bone, you smell it out, you feel it. You're like, well, okay, we're hitting all the beats we're supposed to. But when I start taking away those beats that you know should be there, then it starts to feel a little more real. And what am I watching? Is, could this be snuff? Could this be, you know, that kind of thing. And I wanted you to just be a tad uneasy. So hopefully it came across. It did very much. Um, were the, the opening scenes um, in the first one of the news footage, was, was that real news footage? Um, yes. Yeah. Though. Yeah. Yeah. We got, uh, there's a bunch of news footage. We, there's maybe one element in there that we had to fabricate because we didn't have a, a picture. Um, okay. but, but yes, those are from real news reports and, uh, real haunt videos. So, but while you were filming the first one, how, how willing were the haunts to have you like come out film, you know, cause I, I'm not too sure on the logistics of filming inside of a haunt. So were they, were they cool to have you guys come out? Were there like things that had to, that you guys had to do before you could go in and film there? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you know, there's three versions. Well, there's the houses movie before the houses movie. So we made it and then studio bought it and we remade the same movie with a much bigger budget. Oh, that was in 2011. 2011 right so so at that time we were a super small crew nobody knew who we were to even trust us to do it is it you know i really appreciate all those haunts that did that it's funny we had some discussions with some of those guys past couple weeks about the hauntsociety.com that that we started and it was so great because these guys someone we hadn't talked to in in several years and they were like you came out to the haunt you said you were going to do something you executed it um, and they really admired that from a business standpoint, because it was a gamble for us. It was a gamble for them. We didn't know, and we didn't let them in on everything, obviously. Um, but I was very upfront about, we're going to give your haunt a platform and, and forever it'll be on screen. You know, it'll be a thing like even bloody disgusting, had us do a map of everywhere we went so people could come follow, uh, which I thought was really cool. Um, so yeah, that, that whole haunt world, they were very inviting, um, but, you know, you, you got to have your guard up a little bit. I get it. It's their business, um, you know, but, uh, you know, I promised to, to just highlight it the best way I could because it really is. It's our love letter to Halloween. I mean, the scare actors and, and the sets they build are incredible, absolutely incredible. And I don't think people give them enough credit. Um, so hopefully we've kind of at least shown the world a, a small piece of that. I, I completely agree. I think that it's... Um... I'm going to steal what you said. It, it feels like a love letter. It's, I, I feel like I'm just gushing at this point, but it's fantastic. Um, I'm glad you like it so much. It's cool. I, one issue that I have with a lot of found footage movies is they're usually just like rife with jump scares that, that aren't actual scares. And one of the things that I think you guys do really well is you give the jump scares a reason by being in a haunted house, in, in a haunt. It, it makes the jump scare jump scares feel real um, and it, it doesn't feel cheap it doesn't feel like a gimmick um, so it, it just the jump scares work so well with the haunt backdrop um, I know that wasn't a question that was just no no <laughs> I, I I'm I'm glad that you see it that way because it, it is it's it's funny when you make something that you want to be as real as possible um, it's it's tough because you it's why Zach's character. We had him say 
right before we go to New Orleans at the end of Houses One, he's like, what are you scared of? He's like, what has actually really happened, right? Like, and I needed him to talk for the audience in that scene because for anybody that's like, I would have gone home. Why? Why would you have fully gone home? Nobody had seen the footage except for my character and Zach's character of, of them coming in the RV. Um, you know, and, and one thing I had to remove, I remember the studio and post put blood on the, on the lens um, uh, for the scene. And I, I had to remove because the second you see blood, the audience is gone. They're like, I've lost you on all that realism that we would have, we would have gone home. Um, and so, you know, with those, with the, the jump scares and, and when it, with found footage, I think a lot of people, and I, and I, I mean, this is especially to Brandy, um, who had to, she had to put a lot on her shoulders for both these movies, but an actor in a found footage movie doesn't get the luxury of different angles and, and different takes. It doesn't really work that way. If I cut that movie up, it's not going to feel right. Um, so you need to get it right on, on everything. Um, and so I think that's a testament, especially to her. I think she did an incredible job. Um, and I think she's very, uh, she, she, she lets you get your guard down. Um, and I think that she, she did that with everybody she interviewed. Um, and I think that was, a it's a great talent that she has. And I think that, uh, she's kind of the, she's the anchor to, to both those movies. Honestly, no, she, she does a fantastic job. Um, this is probably a bit of a weird question to ask, but how how do you feel with your film? The found footage subgenre has, like, I would say, even more than slashers or anything, has the most diehard fan group, and I I would assume that a lot of that does overlap with um, the people who do haunts and you know are obsessed with them and love them. So, how do you feel with pretty much the outpouring of love that comes, at least I, to me, it seems like an outpouring of love for um, your, for your movie. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And you get, you know, each Halloween, it kind of resurfaces, you know, um, and new, new, like there's a new audience each fall, which is really cool to be in people's rotation for, for Halloween. Um, but yeah, so it's been awesome. And you know what, it's, it's funny because most, both movies are divisive to some people because they want a bow wrapped around, um, their story sometimes. And I can't give you that because if I do, it's, it's, we're going to lose a lot of the real factor. You know, it's, it's hard to keep that up. So, you know, I, I like movies like, um, you know, I think Lake Mungo, probably is one of the best examples of, of found footage done right. Uh, it's fantastic. And, and, but there's, there's moments in that, that to keep the realism, you can't make that movie perfect because uh, you'll, you'll, you'll lose it. So I hope audiences see it that way and understand what we do, but it, it's funny the people that don't like found footage are like, Oh, jer the jerky camera. And what are they doing? And I could do this. And there's just so much more that goes into it. So it's yeah. funny. It's like, okay, then do it. Yeah. Yeah, um, got a phone. Go for it. Uh, so, was a uh, a part two, or was that always kind of in the works, or did you kind of, uh, based off the the growing popularity of the first one, decide to to make a second one? No, we always did. We actually had about 
have about four designed on the this whole arc of the group and um, the blue skeleton as well on on where that that comes from. Uh, so no, it was always the idea. We always wanted to cliffhang one. Um, we always thought it was cool because I I always give this example, but because some people are like, well, what about Halloween? I'm like, well, it's Karate Kid that stuck out to me that Daniel Russo leaves the All Valley Tournament in one. And then we watch part two and he's going out to the parking lot. And I love the idea that like, I think three years goes by between those, the release of those two movies, but it felt like, oh, you didn't leave Daniel and Johnny at all. Like this is them leaving the tournament. And, and I liked a movie like that where you could watch both together as one. Um, and I kind of always designed one and two for houses to, to be that way. Um, sure, there's this shock value that's taken away from some of it in two, but ultimately these movies are Halloween adventure movies before like straight horror and trying to build a big cinematic haunted house through these stories. That's what it is. A haunted house doesn't exactly mean uh, four walls and a roof. It, a haunted house is an experience. And I think there's many, many different ways to do that. And people have gotten incredibly creative um, from escape rooms to immersive theater to, to all that. And I, I kind of put all of that under the haunted house umbrella. Um, actually, so kind of uh, going off that, uh, one of the scenes in um, the second one you guys are in, uh, what's the part? Oh, I have the name written down. The, the place in Minnesota that you guys go. Um, yeah. The soap factory. Uh, the I was I was trying to think of the, the town name. Uh, the the birthplace of Halloween. Oh, Anoka. Yes. Anoka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so like I, I, I really do think it's interesting that Halloween has spawned so many things from zombie runs to zombie pub crawls, to to all that stuff. Uh, I think one of the one of the funniest scenes in the second one is when you guys go to the eating contest with uh, Kobayashi. Oh yeah. Was was that a real eating contest? Brains, veal brains. Yes, it was. And you so guys that, actually did you guys actually participate in that? Yeah, th that throw up scene's real. <laughs> that was my next yeah. question. It was disgusting. Um, but Kobe's been great. He. Uh, I'll tell you a story. I don't know if I ever told the story, but but we were doing the eating competition. We we the big thing about two is we wanted to show different facets of Halloween. If I did, went and did the haunted houses again, as incredible as they are, I didn't want it to just feel like another labyrinth in the dark. How else can we show Halloween celebrations? So we got the zombie 5K, the zombie pub crawl, and it's eating competition. But you know, in all that makeup, but it's obviously. Uh, kind of catered to the the Halloween crowd because we were eating brains. We were eating brain tacos, um, and they were pretty raw and disgusting. But the competitive side of me went, "Oh wait, if I get to go toe to toe with the best eater on planet Earth, I don't care." I mean, he wiped the floor with me. I think I finished <laughs> eighteen, and he finished fifty-two. Um, but the fact is, is I got to go in the ring with Tyson for just a second, and that was cool. Um, and so did my brother, who, if you watch closely, pukes in a Dixie cup and quits. Um, but yeah, that was all very real. And we didn't know how it was going to all pan out because we were doing the competition. They invited us out. We were going to do this whole scene, but we couldn't get a hold of Kobe. Uh, I didn't know him. Um, he didn't have the normal agent route. And it's the night before shooting. And 
myself, Zach, and, uh, and Mikey were out to dinner and the crew wasn't coming until the next morning. And so we were just out and in typical Mikey fashion, he was hitting on the waitress and asking, um, told her he was here for making a movie and said they were going to do the brain eating competition the next day. And she goes, Oh, you're going against Kobayashi. And we're like, yeah, you know, we are, we hope so, but we didn't have the release from him. So we thought we were going to have to shoot around him. And, uh, she goes, Oh, well, he's inside eating dinner. I mean, we're in Minneapolis. I don't know how many restaurants there are. The chances of him being a hundred feet away from us the night before we needed to get in contact with him was insane. And so we went over there. He invited us to sit down for dinner, said he's always wanted to be in a horror movie. Let's talk. This could be great. And ever since then, like we've been, uh, we've kept close contact and he's an awesome, like he'll, he did a live um, run through in a blood manor in New York for us. He's wearing all the house's gear and stuff like that. So he's been great. So uh, he's a really interesting guy and incredible like story. If you've ever seen his 30 for 30 on ESPN, uh, I, haven't, uh, no. I highly recommend it. It's, it's really interesting because it humanizes something that some people look at going, Oh, you're just shoving hot dogs down your mouth. Well, that's, that's not the case. I mean, at all. And uh and so he's a really interesting character and a really good guy. So that was a that was a cool relationship that kind of came out of nowhere. Did did you notice any big changes in filming between the first and the second movie based on the notoriety that you guys had within the haunt industry? Um like us like we used a drone which we didn't use in one is that where you're kind of referring well, to? I mean like uh were you guys getting noticed more things cuz oh, I yeah. that, there's a scene where I think one of the haunt actors, I think his name is Click. Clicks. Um, yeah, that's real. That's a real scene. It, it's, I, again, one of my notes says, this has to be real. Sure. Because um, that, that back and forth just seemed so completely authentic. So, like, did you have a lot of moments like that where people were coming up like, oh, my God, you guys are the guys from that movie about the haunted houses? Yeah, and it was tough because with having some of that anonymity gone, you you lose the natural reactions with stuff. Right. And that did happen. Um, it happened several times, but the clicks one, um, we had the cameras rolling and it, and it fit the story really well. Um, and it was an authentic moment. Um, and the movie really mattered to him. And he, you know, as a scare actor, a veteran scare actor for a long time, um, he, he just got really excited because that movie was about, you know, what he does for a living. And, uh, so yeah, that was a little bit more difficult to come in because then people knew also that we probably had something up our sleeve. That didn't happen, uh, especially in the original. You could pull off whatever you needed to, um, you know. But if we started peppering people with a blue skeleton question now, most of the time they know what we're talking about, and that would have kind of ruined it. So that was a little bit uh, harder. You know, it was a little bit of a challenge to kind of get through with two, but wasn't terrible because we were some of these places got kind of off the beaten path but when it did happen you know you tried to roll with it and use it and, and we lucked out that one of it actually became a scene you know it it's yeah it just feels very genuine um one of the lines that i wrote down that i absolutely love in the second one is uh, when one of the blue skeleton crew uh enters your guy's rv he says you smell different when you're awake yes that is i think one of the most unironically funny lines in a horror movie and ever. Free. 
I mean, if you, you have to stop and think about that line for a second and then just go, oh, wait, that's really disturbing. So did, I don't know if I'm reading into this too much. Is that guy one of the guys from the first movie that gets in? Because isn't there a scene in the first movie where someone sneaks in and videotapes them? Right. Yeah. So it's funny. We've discussed this before on trying to do these ties where, you know, you see porcelain showing back up. Right. And so what are the ideas of uh, what are these other guys doing? Because you only see them in masks or in the skull masks, so they can be anything, right? They can be anybody. Um, so the idea that some of these guys are popping back in and out, that's kind of a wink to the audience like that, um, was something we tried to put in throughout. There's, there's probably about eight or nine nods in two um, that Brandy's character is not aware of. And hopefully it was a it was a callback. So yes, that was very astute of you to pick out though. What uh so I, I did want to talk about porcelain real quick, but what uh what causes porcelain to kind of have that change of heart to give Brandy the fake gun and the squib um, sure. and everything? Um how do I answer this with there's there's part of this that is a plot uh point for what we want to do with three um so i can't get into it too much um but it feels like um god no matter how i answer this uh th there's a there's a there's a reason for her to to let her in on it um but also you know i guess we say a, a spoiler alert for anybody that hasn't seen two you can press pause or fast forward <laughs> but um the idea to double cross everybody was really important so you know by brandy getting that information also screws over the four guys who to me the scariest thing you could do now in this world of mckamey manor and all this other stuff is to think that you had been responsible for killing your friend that you got your friend killed that's terrifying and so that was kind of the only this weird like meta thing that we were trying to do um, with the guys because who were in charge the whole time and kind of leading this adventure for it to kind of blow back in their face. That was the only way to do that when porcelain lets her know, lets her in on it. So everyone's double crossed. Where did, uh, where did the design for her come from? Because I, I she's on um, the covers. Uh, on, on the cover art, at least for the, the copies that I have, um, yep. and I, I believe also on, on Hulu, uh, she's like, she's creepy as hell. Yeah, I wish I could take credit for designing that mask or not. That was, it's a CFX mask, and it's, it's great. They mold it to your face. And when I first saw it, and I saw any mask does not move with your cheekbones, like a a bot mask, right? But theirs do, and they 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 stick on almost like latex. And when her jaw, when you can see her movement, it it becomes real, like it becomes part of her face. And that to me was really really scary. Um, and so you know, we thought that we, we never knew that she was going to be such in the forefront, but we just knew how creepy that mask was, and um, and it's kind of. It, blossom into something else but yeah cfx they make incredible masks if you guys haven't seen them and you should check out their website uh so on on that you, you brought up uh, mckinney manor which is one thing that i 
did slightly want to touch on, I'm not trying to get too off topic, um, but you have, you've obviously gone to a lot of haunts at this point. Uh, like, how far do you think is too far? Uh, like, I'm not trying to, you know, get into the logistics of McKamey Manor or anything, but for me, that's a bit too far. Um, but like, where, where do you think that, you know, as long as you're willing and giving your consent, they, like, they can literally do anything to you? Or do you think that there's a line that haunts shouldn't cross? Um, I almost think they should be in two different categories, right? Like, because I think to the, the haunt community, McKamey is this weird outlier that's probably not good for business because it, it, uh, most haunted houses, kids go to also right i mean appropriate for 10 12 years old to go there obviously not mckamey um so i just think they're two different things um and i think whatever your interest lies in then then you can do that i i understand the idea of topping yourself each year and trying to figure out what to do to to make people say i have the scariest haunted house in the world i understand that's a badge of honor um you know it's it's just very interesting on how, uh, like, uh, so like 3D was this thing for so long, and then now we have 4D theaters. Well, I just think that's us as human beings getting desensitized towards something and wanting more. Now we want to touch it, feel it. Haunts, we do the same thing. I mean, you used to be able to touch all the time, then that, that went away. Now it's back. Um, because I think that you, the jump scares aren't really enough for a lot of people that are now paying, I don't sometimes like 50 bucks to go through, they want to be scared. And we've seen too much now, whether it's the internet or anything, like you've seen everything. Um, we were talking about like that sex must get, start to get crazy because you were into a, you were into a um, a space where there's Playboy and whatever. Now you have crazy, crazy fetish sites that people have. So I think people just start to get numb and they just want something different or more extreme. Um, and, and I think that haunts do that. So I think each to their own, um, you know, hopefully everyone's being safe about it because I can see how that can go real sideways. And, uh, you know, but I, I just... The simplest answer I think to you is that there are two different categories to me. I don't, I don't put them both under the same haunted house field. That, that's fair. It could kind of diminish the name of haunts if people automatically uh, conflate, you know, McCamey Manor with a haunt. Um, so I, I totally get that. How, how do you think that, because obviously you're way more tuned into this than, than most people, but how do you think COVID has affected the haunt industry? I think it decimated it last year. I mean, I've, I've heard numbers of like 91 or 92% closure last fall, wow. you know, and that's really hard because sure it is a place there's tight spaces and you get touched and um, you know, so I think it's a, it's a shame. I'm hoping this fall is the return of Halloween. Um, you know, that everyone's comfortable going back out there because these are amazing experiences that people wait. 11 months for i mean it's it's like christmas and, and the audience is there you know i think it's upwards of 50 million people go to haunts every year now um and to take that away from them and is is terrible like it's 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 halloween um it's not halloween without a haunted house to me um you know you at least have to get in a couple 
through October. So I'm hoping that majority of the, the doors will be open uh, this this fall, which I'm, I've seen. We've been in contact with a lot of them lately, and they seem to all be open. So uh, on that topic, uh, you put together something called the, the Haunt Society. Um, so who, who all is, is involved in that? So that's Zach and I. Um, okay. And we've wanted to do it for a long time. We have these relationships all over the world. Um, with these haunts and and i think there there was somewhat of a disservice with there are a couple other sites that that are doing it and and it's fine but you want you want to put them on display the right way and i think that these guys work too hard to to not have it done up properly and so we wanted to do that we uh you know we just started learning more as we went over a decade of doing this uh like we were um we were invited over we were flown over to go speak to all the haunt owners in the uk and that was really eye-opening, especially because most of their haunts are not during Halloween. They open in April. They open in May. Like, they don't have the same season we do. But they're these incredible haunts that have this different flavor to them that I would love, you know, at least especially in the United States, more people to be aware of. Um, they would be, you know, every time anybody was going to Europe, they that are, you know, haunt fans, Halloween fans, should check that stuff out. But they're not, they don't know about them. Um, and so we kind of wanted to consolidate something and have a directory that would um, give people a, whether you just use like a haunt near me type um, application that we have, or you want to study and look at these commercials that they've made are incredible. So many of these haunts have spent, you know, a lot of money and a lot of time to make it right. And they're cinematic as hell. And, and not everyone gets to see them. You only get to see your local one, right? Like you, the one you went to look for that was in a 10 mile radius of you. But, you know, there's Ohio and Georgia, Dallas, like it's phenomenal what these guys are doing. And so we wanted to put them on a, we call it like a macabre pedestal for them. And, and I think that's important. So hopefully we're just kind of taking the knowledge that we've learned and, um, and in a different fashion, um, getting these haunt names out there the same way we did with the, you know, the five or six or so that we would do in each movie. That's awesome. Have, have you noticed? Uh people from the haunt industry uh have they like taken notice of the website um or anything like that yeah we've had several reach out um which has been great and probably you know there's a handful probably some of the top haunts in the in the country maybe even the world um that we have that are now part of haunt society which is which is awesome and uh cutting edge is one of our uh haunts uh, one of our featured haunts in Texas, and it just got named by USA Today as the number one haunt in the country. So um, that's really cool to be part of that and for uh, us to have their back and for them to have faith in us, especially with a brand new site. Um, but, you know, we know what we're doing. We've been in that world for such a long time. This is just kind of putting it on paper. This may be an unfair question, but do you have a favorite haunt? A favorite haunt? Yeah. Yeah, that would uh, be a conflict of interest if I answer that. Okay. Uh, no, how we always answer that, and, and I do agree with this, this isn't a cop-out, but we would, there are different rooms that stick out to us as opposed to, like, an entire haunt. Um, you know, there's this, like Zach always talks about, there's this whiteout room that was in El Paso. that Everybody has these blackout rooms, but this was a whiteout room, and it, you almost had vertigo through it. It was like being in John Carpenter's The Fog and then people would come out completely dressed in white. And I hadn't honestly seen that at any other haunt. 
Um, so stuff like that sticks out. And then um, the we did a press tour in um, for the first movie. And so we took the RV, basically didn't learn our own lessons from the movie. We, we drove from LA up through Texas and then we premiered in Telluride, but we went off, we went to one haunt that was okay. And then we were told to go off the beaten path and go to this haunt outskirts of Albuquerque. So we just did this stupid thing our characters do in the movie and we went, well, we got bags put over our head. They said, we know who you are and you haven't seen shit. And we had like, I had two metal cylinders uh, put up my shirt and it was the, the edge of a shotgun. And oh so you feel God. the cold metal on my skin. And, um, and so basically we got split up. It was just me, Mikey and Zach. We were picking up Brandy the next day. And uh, so we went through, we got all split up and my brother got um, blindfolded and how he describes it as kicked off a cliff, but it was probably only about 15 feet into a foam pit, but he's like, it felt like a hundred. Um, I got put in this box where I was getting sprayed and it was very warm and did not smell good. And I mean, if, if you didn't know any better, it'd be piss. And I'm a big guy, like getting locked in this, this, uh, this crate with, with an actual master lock on it and getting thrown down a hallway. Um, and then we, uh, it was funny, this, um, by the end of it, we, we met this incredible, this clown, he was fantastic. Uh, and we went and talked to the owner when we were done and we got out and like, so obviously it was all an experience and it was fun. And they ended up that they said they had 191 piss outs that year. And he literally people pissed their pants and asked to quit. Wow. Um, yeah. And so, you know, we met a lot, a lot of, crazy characters that night that uh it was funny because one guy in particular i was trying to put in houses too um just because he embodied this character so well and and i had not seen that before it was a very just different approach to a haunt um but it was it was very memorable that's for sure yeah i could only imagine um so uh is there any talks of because I you've mentioned houses three a few times, is there any you know updates on that? Any filming or writing that's taking place in the near future for that? Yeah, we have it all planned. We um so before we're doing that, we have well we'd worked on it for three years with the producers of Walking Dead, The Walking Dead. Um, it's called A Wicked Tale, and so we spent about three years on that. We were supposed to shoot last summer, but COVID. We're not special. Everybody else did. Got shut down. So we're hoping that goes back into production in the spring. Um, and then we have another film I can't really announce yet. Um, but those two are probably going to be taken care of before we get back into Houses 3. Um, but yeah, we've, we've been asked a lot about it and where it is. And um, it was just kind of important to kind of take a, take a beat and uh, get into the feature world as well at the same time. So uh you said a, a wicked tale is there anything that that uh you can go into about that sure it's a a grounded version of of the grim brothers fairy tale but modern and uh we kind of took the approach of we're gonna put the r back in Grim. like you know most people's recollection of them are very disney 
Um, and so we wanted to kind of uh, put a different spin on that. Um, unlike any way that anybody's done in the past. So that's been the plan. And so that's been a lot of hard work for about, about three years. That sounds very intriguing. Um, so as this is kind of a selfish question, um, as a uh, wannabe horror filmmaker, um, could you give like me or any wannabe filmmakers out there any advice about anything from writing to directing to making a found footage movie, which I feel like has to be one of the hardest films to actually try and make because there's so many factors that go into it. Um, honestly, my advice is that there aren't, you don't have any excuses anymore, right? Like film used to be expensive. That was the only way you could do it. Um, you know, screenwriting software, all, you know, you, you can now color correct everything you want with your own personal computer. There, make something intangible, tangible, just, you know, the, it's the same advice I'd give with, with the reason I wrote the children's book is that it doesn't matter what happens to it. It, it needs to breathe. So whether it's a script you want to write, um, whether it's a movie, you know, you, you basically can do the, the, the bad version of it or the cheaper version of it to get it right. And then maybe you can sell it and redo it. That's, you know, that's what we did. Um, I think you also, if you do a short, my advice, it's just my opinion is that if you're going to do a short, Make sure it can be a feature. Don't spend so much money and time. Make it be a presentation, almost like a sizzle, but or a proof of concept for a feature. I think that that is the best use of your time and your money to get your idea out there. Um, but yeah, just most importantly, you know, pen to paper, or you know, uh, even if you film it with your phone, it'll it'll give you a base and a foundation, and you'll you'll find you'll find things that you want to make better. Um, and you almost get these cool dry runs um, if you know if you if you have an idea you really believe in. So that's that would be my advice. Awesome. Well, I really do. Again, I, I want to thank you for taking the time to to sit with me and chat. Um, I don't want to take up too much of your day. Um, so uh, be, before we head on out, is there uh, any final thoughts? Anything you wanted to plug? Anything like that? Um, no. I mean, I think uh, hopefully. Uh, if you haven't seen any of the houses movies, they're both on uh, Amazon Prime and Hulu this Halloween. Um, I I would uh, propose you watch them back to back if you have the time. And then other than that, when you're looking for haunted houses this year, um, go to hauntsociety.com and you can just plug in your zip code and they'll tell you all the ones around you, uh, tell you the ones that are featured in your state. Um, but hopefully that kind of that helps your uh, Saturday Halloween night out. Awesome. Well, Bobby Rowe, thank you so much. I appreciate it. This has been the highlight of my spooky season so far. Um, so yeah, uh, stay safe, stay spooky. Have a good Halloween. playing fantasy football. football.
It is championship week. You're trying to set your lineup and you don't know what to do. Robert Griffin IV and his top target, Will Fuller VI, have carried you all season, but they're facing a London Jaguars team that has the top defense in the league. Your other quarterback is a 66-year-old Tom Brady who's playing against the much more manageable Toronto Bengals. So you turn to Nick and Elijah of the 25 Yards Later podcast, a production of Sports Obsessive and Ruminations Radio Network. Be a champion. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.